Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the last podcast of the year from the Dublin Story Slam. My name is Julian Clancy and I produce the Story Slam and today we have three stories for you all inspired by the theme, the gift because these are all stories that are well, if they're not set around Christmas they at least embrace the spirit of Christmas and the idea of giving and gifts. So this is the Dublin Story Slam podcast. Okay, so I am still a little bit wrecked from our Grand Slam event, which took place in the Abbey Theatre, as I mentioned, uh, just uh, over a week ago. And that was where we had eight Story Slam finalists come together uh, to tell eight brand new stories inspired by the theme, The Decision. Uh, Those stories will be featured as part of a special documentary that we're making about the Dublin Story Slam and it's going to be broadcast on RTE Radio 1 Extra but we'll also be podcasting that right here so we'll be bringing you all of the stories recorded over the night at the Grand Slam including interviews with all of the storytellers and a little behind the scenes look at what exactly we do at the Dublin Story Slam. So today we are focusing on three stories we'll have as I said one story from and the Grand Slam at the end of the show. But we're going to start off with a story that was recorded very recently. And this story comes from Nell Mercer. I hope I'm pronouncing that correct. And Nell got up and told this absolutely gorgeous, beautiful story about being young and being a child at Christmas and it captures all the uh, all the wonder of that. So if you're not really in the Christmas spirit yet, uh, well I would open up the L boxes of roses or Quality Street depending on what your, your fancy is. Maybe you have the Christmas lights maybe on in the background and sit down and prepare, be prepared to revisit your childhood because this is Nell Mercer with her own particular story about the gifts that she received or didn't, one particular Christmas. I believed in Santa. Up until first year of secondary school. (laughs) And I think back to it now, and I wonder, were my parents just really good at fostering this imagination and wonder in me? Or was I just a bit thick? I went to a rough enough school and there'd be girls the same age as me wearing fake tan and having babies. (laughs) And there's me thinking, did she ask Santa for that? (laughs) 
But to be honest, to me and my siblings, we believed in everything as kids. Easter Bunny, Tooth Fairy. And it was because our mother loved filling our heads with all that magical crack. And she really did keep, she brought it to the next level as well with fairies and myths. She told us that on Midsummer's night, the fairies would come out to play and she would get us to bring our Barbies to St. Anne's Park to leave them there overnight. And next day we come back and they'd all be gone. And my mother would be effing and blind and looking for them. And I turned to my sister and I was like, Jesus, fairies are sly. <laughs> but as we grew older, I feel our mother found it hard to let her childhood go. Still does. But she really did keep all of this up as long as she could. And by God, we were different because of it. In fifth class, I came home and all of my Barbies were hanging off the tree naked with their hair cut off because my sister was sacrificing them to the fairies again. <laughs> uh, teachers thought we were Lulas and we were slag quite a lot for this. But my mother reassured us that they were the mad ones. And as happy as my childhood was, I do feel if you fill kids' heads with too much of this stuff, there are gonna be consequences. One being a piece of correspondence that I wrote at 13 years of age. <laughs> Dear Santa, this is Nell here. I hope you remember me. Anyway, I was wondering how you were. I'm sorry I didn't write sooner. There are a lot of things troubling me because all my friends don't believe in you. They say they are too old to believe in you and I get embarrassed when I say I believe in you. Well, I hope you're real. You have to be. How is Mrs. Claus? I hope she isn't too stressed out. Well, I hope you don't mind me saying what I would like for Christmas. I don't want much. All I want is a Nokia picture phone 3200. Please, please, please times 100, can I have this? I really want it. I'm not being greedy, but please. And my other thing is a GHD. You don't have to get this, but you do have a choice between that and knee-high boots. Please, can I have this, but really I want the Nokia 3200. And my other thing is to help me lose weight and be pretty. It may seem stupid, but I want to have a cute, popular, nice boyfriend. This is all I'm asking for. I would love to have it all. You may think I'm horribly greedy, but please, I'm not. And I'm going to try and stop fighting with people, especially my sister and dad. So if you could please bring me those things, I will always love you. I hope you have a nice Christmas and it won't be too rushed. I will have a drink for something for you and the Rudolph and the reindeers. Please may I have all my presents. Have a Merry Christmas. Love, Nell. When I finished writing that, I went out to my dad that night who was working in the shed. And I knocked on the door and I sheepishly said, Dad, um, will you send my Santa letter for me? And he turned around and looked me straight in the eye 
and said, no bother now. <laughs> so I came out of the shed la- that night and I was like, Santa's real. And I'm getting a boyfriend. And I probably should have asked for more stuff. So Christmas Eve, the same year, I was all cute and tucked up in my jammies, wondering what the morning would bring, practicing the shift on my pillow. (laughs) And my mother came in like a nervous wreck, and she sat at the end of the bed. She was like, Nell, I I need to talk to you about Santa. Your brother, who's eight years old, by the way, is after finding all the Santa presents in the shed. And I'm like, is my boyfriend in the shed? (laughs) But she went on anyway, and she was like, God, I I don't really know what to do now. Maybe we'll tell him that we had to give all the presents to the poor this year, or do you know what to do? And then it clicked in. I'm like, well, ma'am, maybe you should tell him he's probably too old to be believing in Santa anymore. And she looked at me, and she was like, Nell, that's cruel. So she left, and I lost three things that night. I lost a boyfriend. (laughs) I lost my innocence. And I lost belief in anything. And I truly felt alone. But what I did gain was this absolute fear that my dad had this mental letter. And I was up all night freaking out about it. I, I kind of calmed myself down because I said, do you know what, Nell? Your dad would have told your mother that you're pathetic enough to think that Santa's some kind of weird pimp. But nothing, nothing was ever said. And years went on. I clearly became pretty. <laughs> uh, I got a boyfriend. He's here tonight. and I actually became a primary school teacher thanks to my trips in the St. Anne's Park but unfortunately four years ago it was Christmas and my dad gathered all our family together and he said he wanted to share something with us (laughs) and next thing he whips out my letter. And he's after a few whiskeys now, thinking he's a gas bastard reading it. <laughs> and I'm sitting there in absolute silence. And he finishes. And I'm like, you know what, Dad? The joke's on you for raising such an insecure daughter. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That was Nell Mercer. Nell is a primary school teacher who is going to be at home celebrating uh, Christmas with her family. And what she hopes to get from Santa this year is a continuing open and honest relationship with her own dad. Our next story comes from Joe Nestor. And Joe got in contact with us via Instagram and I think it was the day before the Story Slam was due to take place, but she said she really, really, really wanted to take part. 
and she was travelling all the way from Leitrim, which is nearly three hours away from, from Dublin. Um, so she got her husband into the car and drove down all the way to be with us and shared this story, which I tell you not, uh, it felt like Christmas already was in the room uh, when she began to speak, even though this was recorded back in September um, of this year. So this is another story from another childhood but one that still embraces all the beautiful feelings of being a kid again at Christmas. So, this is Joe Nestor. Okay. Hi. I went to primary school in Wales in the middle of farming country. A two-classroom school. The little class and the big class. And one afternoon at break time, some of us huddled on a low stone wall at the bottom of the playground at the back of the school to hear what one of the big boys had to say. I was six years old and felt very proud to be chosen to be amongst this group of people who were going to be told something by the big boy. And he said, Do you want to hear a funny word? And we did, we did, of course we did. (laughs) Fuck off. (laughs) Well, I was absolutely amazed because I had never heard that word before. And it it was like some shiny new information. And I was just, I was dying to burst out of me. Now bear in mind that I lived four miles from this school So up a valley, there's my house, here's the school. We had a school car driver and a school car, and they used to to pick everybody up along the way. But I was the last one home, so I had to wait all that time. And I leapt out of the back of the car, slammed the door, didn't even say see ya to the driver, ran up the yard, into the kitchen. There was my father. (laughs) Hello, my love, how was school? I learned a new word today. (laughs) I might have puffed my chest out a bit. I'm not sure. Did you, darling? What is it? Fuck off. (laughs) I wasn't expecting the reaction I got. That's very bad. Where did you hear that? Who told you that? I started crying. I said it was a big boy at school. Well, he shouldn't have. You keep away from him. Now run along and stop snivelling. Well, it didn't stop me from joining the group again, (laughs) coming up to Christmas. And the big boy pulled us all in because, you know, we weren't supposed to be there and we're behind the bicycle sheds. And he says, there's no such thing as Santa Claus. He's not real. Now, that was a bit shocking because the grown-ups at home had told me that Santa brought the presents to me and my younger brother, and they would never lie to me. And I remembered how he tricked me before, and I thought, I'm not going to tell anyone this. This is... He's he's a trickster. (laughs) Anyways... Fairly soon after that, our school Christmas party started and I was in the little class and we were making lots of Christmas decorations and having fun then going into the big class and 
putting them all over the Christmas tree and sticking tinfoil around the bucket that the Christmas tree was in. And, oh, it got really warm in there because all of us were in there and there's a stove on and the headmaster's chair was put beside the stove ready for Santa to come. And both the teachers said, shh, can you hear Santa's sleigh bells? And we could, we could, we could hear them. They were out in the playground. Though nobody could see out because the walls, the windows were so high and none of us were tall enough to look out. But we knew that Santa was out there in our playground. <sighs> the excitement. And he was going to give us all a present if we'd been good boys and girls. Well, had we? Santa came in. He sat in his chair. It wasn't long till it was my turn to sit on his knee. And it wasn't what I expected at all. Hugged me too tight and he didn't look at me and he muttered and there was a smell off him. I was going, he smells of creosote and farmyards and foxtails that I remember from a familiar dashboard. And like that, I remembered. He, Santa smelt like the school tar, car driver. <laughs> anyway. School was over, we got to bring home our Christmas decorations, but at home, Christmas didn't start till Christmas Eve because my mother decided that Christmas was such stuff and nonsense. Okay. And we had to leave her alone while she made the Christmas pie and she made, uh, prepared all the vegetables for the next day and get out of her way and for goodness sake, give me some peace to listen to the King's College Choir playing the carols on the wireless. It's the only bit of peace I'll get for goodness sake. So my brother and I would hop into the car with Daddy and we'd drive down to the local forestry commission and we'd get our Christmas tree. And we'd come back and put it in the kitchen and we'd put all our decorations on it. And then it was supper and then it was bed because Santa was coming. And of course, my little baby brother fell asleep fairly quickly, but I couldn't sleep. I, I, I felt ill. I, I wasn't comfortable and I could hear noises downstairs. So I pushed back the heavy woolen blankets and... I heard a noise I didn't recognise. And I heard my mother laugh and she said, she's going to love it. And my dad going, shh. And I felt so sick and I thought, oh God, I'll never sleep. But I must have done because my brother woke me up and he said, Santa's come, Santa's come. And we went downstairs and sure enough, Santa had come. And he brought me a shiny new harmonica. And I tried to be excited and happy about Santa bringing me a harmonica, but I said I told him what the big boy at school had said and what I overheard last night from downstairs. And Daddy looked at Mommy. And then he put his hands out, his arms out, and he said, come to me, my love. And I sat on his lap and I snuggled into him and his warm, woolly beard was against my wet, tear-stained cheeks. And he smelled of wood smoke and outdoors. And I loved my daddy, and he loved me. And right at that moment, nothing else mattered. Thank you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello 
Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. That was Joe Nestor and... Joe was at our Grand Slam last week and so we were delighted that she was able to, to go along and hopefully she'll be back on stage with us again soon to share another of her own um, stories. Something tells me that she may have one or two more in the bag. So we come to the end of our stories for this year and I wanted to finish off with a story that isn't set around Christmas and there's not even a mention of Christmas but there is at the heart of it this idea of getting a gift. And it's a gift that I think most of you will already have. Um, But it's one that our next storyteller just makes you feel incredibly grateful for. So this is a story from Michael Lavin. And the thing about Michael is that Michael is blind. So when he walked out onto the stage at the Grand Slam, um, one of the other storytellers gave him a hand getting to the microphone. And there he stood up in front of nearly 500 people. And Michael got up and told this really inspiring story about a gift that I suppose a lot of us have, but maybe we, we, we take it way, way, way too much for granted. So the thing about Michael is that as he walked out onto the stage, it was revealed to to all of the audience and that Michael is in fact blind. So one of the other storytellers on the night helped him walk up to the microphone and got him centred. And then he flew. (laughs) He just started speaking and you knew that you were in for a rollicking good time. Um, This is our not our winner of the Grand Slam for 2019, but definitely uh, a real high point of the night of many, many high points. So this is, this is high praise indeed. This is Michael Lavin. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, my story starts on a sunny day in 1980. I'm in the outpatients department of the Matter Hospital on Dublin's North Circle Road and I have an appointment to see Dr. O'Donoghue, the eye specialist. He has been looking after my eye condition for years, and while my sight is deteriorating, uh, I still have quite a sufficient amount of vision, although it is is challenging at times. Now, I have, lucky enough to have quite a good bit of independence. To give you an idea as to what I can see at that time, I could read a newspaper, although I had to hold it quite close to my face. And the the problem with that was I ended up invariably with ink on the tip of my nose. <laughs> my nephews, who were young kids at the time, used to say, Uncle Michael knows the news. <laughs> so, <laughs> as to what 
As to what I couldn't see, um, I couldn't see steps, either going up or down, so I had no perception of, of the depth of a step, the height. I also found people's faces blurred. There were no great definition there. Anyway, I'm in with Dr. O'Donoghue, and unsurprisingly, he tells me that my sight is deteriorating and that I am liable to have ongoing eye infections. He says the only real solution for me is a corneograph or corneal transplant. Now, I know somebody who had already got that, and they had some sight restored. So I asked him, what were the odds of it being successful? And he said, probably around 50%. So I said, um, would you recommend it? He said, no. That's, <laughs> that's going to be your decision. I can't make that decision for you. So I said, fair enough. He says, I would advise you to talk it with your family and come back to me, and if you wish to proceed, I know a very good specialist in Waterford who will look after you. So I agonised it on it for a number of days, thinking the pros and cons. If I, I stay the way I am, I have enough sight for a while. I have quite a, enough independence. If I go for an, the corneograph, the chances are I could get my, a good bit of sight back, but the other side of it is I could be completely blind. So I wasn't afraid, I was afraid to take the risk, and I, the old proverb goes, the devil you know is bad, the devil you don't know. So I contacted and told the doctor no, I wouldn't proceed, and time went by, and at that time I was very fortunate to meet a very nice girl who in, in, in terms became very much in love with, and unfortunately we were very good friends, we got on very well together, and um, I, she happened to be blind herself. And we began to realize, you know, if I had gone for that corneal transplant, life might be that little bit easier. So I had the regrets, and when the, when the appointment card for the next time came through my letterbox, we were all ready to go and up for, for the transplant. So I go in to see him, Dr. Donohue again, and he says, well, what's the situation? I say, I want to go ahead with this. No part of it. he was delighted, he thinks it's the right decision, and he says, it makes the arrangement for me to go to Waterford. Time passes by, and I, um, I'm down with Mr. Condon in Arkeen Hospital, and he goes through the pros and cons of the operation, what I can expect, how long I'll be in hospital, etc., etc. And uh, he, said, he told me one thing, that um, once a, a cornea is found for me, he has, he has seven hours in which to carry out the, transact, the, the transplant. And he told me that I would, being in Dublin, to be ready at a moment's notice to come down to Warford for to have the actual transplant done. So I was, went off home, and a few months later, got a call at 8 o'clock in the morning to be in Warford that day. There was a train at 11.05, and I was on that train. And I remember passing through by, I still had quite a bit of vision, and I can still remember passing by trees and fields on the way down to Warford and thinking, I wonder will I see these on the way back. So I went into Warford and Darkeen, had the, had the prep for the operation. The operation took place in the evening, and I remember waking up in the middle of the night, and um, there was a night nurse there, and I asked her how had the operation gone, and she says, very successful. So I was quite happy. She said, I just need to take a little quick peep at uh, the eye. So she takes out the bandage, and ladies and gentlemen, as I told you, I had never seen human features before. 
Imagine my surprise when in front of me I could see a late girl with brown hair, blue eyes, little button nose, two lovely red, red lips, two, two uh, rows of white teeth, and I could even see her eyebrows. <laughs> so the next morning, Mr. Connolly came in to have a look at his handiwork, and he was very happy with how it had gone. And from then on, for the next few days, I was in the new world of sighted experience. I remember looking out the window at the trees. I could see the, the blue of the sky. I could see the, the clouds. I could see the buildings near the hospital. There were doors, windows, chimneys. There was even steps which I could see. But all that went into, 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 into insignificance when that evening, who comes in to see me? But my, my uh, wife, wife-to-be. So I was <laughs> very excited at that because I had been secretly wondering what it would be like. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and I wasn't disappointed. <laughs> so the, I was there for a week and I had this fear at night of closing my eyes for fear when I wake up in the morning, everything would be gone. And, you know, believe it or not, after about a week, I began to have slight problems, a, a mistiness in front of my eyes. The doctor says it might be due to the stitches that were tightening on the cornea, and when I got the stitches out, I'd be fine. I was discharged, and about a fortnight later, I came down to have the stitches taken out. But uh, it started getting better, things were getting worse. And I was in a room, it was like a room full of smoke. So anyhow, um, three or four weeks later, I'm back with Dr. Dunham on the matter, and he cannot believe that I'm carrying a white cane. So he, because he had got pictures, he had got x-rays from Waterford at the time, and he was expecting very good results. So anyway, he came along, and he says, unfortunately, he did an examination of my eye, and he says, sadly to say, he says, you have, uh, your optic nerve has failed. So I was devastated. But at the same time, I was a few weeks short of getting married to Teresa, and I says, I'll be determined, we won't have these beaches, and we'll carry on. So that's 35, almost 35 years ago uh, since I made that fateful decision. And I often ask myself, was it the right decision? And of course it was, because it gave me the gift of sight, even for a short period. The gift to be able to see the world, and to be able to see my wife-to-be, and to be able to see my, my family and my cl those close to me. The memories of that so dear me ever since. But the one thing I will say about your sight, it's a great gift. And the one great gift about the, your eyesight is that you can still continue giving it after you leave this world in the form of, of, a, donor, of, a, heart, of a, a transplant or for somebody else. Like the person that gave me the cornea, uh, and I, always, never, I, never forget, I was always grateful to that person. So that's my story for you. Thank you. That was Michael Lavin there, recorded live at the Grand Slam 2019 in the Abbey Theatre. We will, as I said, be bringing you the rest of those stories that featured on the night in a brand new two-part documentary um, on the Dublin Story Slam and the Grand Slam and everything basically that, that we've been working on for the last um, two and a half, three years or so. So uh, that'll be on air uh, January 
around mid-January. We'll keep you posted. It'll go out on RTE Radio 1 Extra first and then we'll be podcasting it afterwards. So make sure you stay tuned uh, for that. Um, on the night, we also revealed that we will be doing another Grand Slam in the not-too-distant future. In fact, March 16th at the Mansions House Round Room which is a very historic place for, for, for any Dubliner who, who knows the place. It's where the very first Irish doll set back in 1919, so nearly 100 years ago, where all the leaders of the country came together to, to kind of map out the, the, the future of the country. Uh, so it's a building that's absolutely steeped in story and in history and a very, very, very fitting place for our very first Spring Grand Slam because we will now be holding two Grand Slams every year. Tickets for the Grand Slam will, if they're not already on sale, they'll be on sale pretty much after this podcast. So head over to the DublinStorySlam.com website and you'll be able to find out more. Uh, while you're there, you can listen back to all of our other podcasts or you can subscribe to our mailing list, which is basically where we let everybody know when tickets go on sale. Um, have a spectacular holiday whether you're at home with friends or even if you're at home alone we hope you find comfort and happiness wherever you are and thank you so much uh, for all the support uh, over the year and yeah roll on 2020 because I really feel with the Dublin Story Slam that things are only just getting started so we'll talk to you in 2020 look after yourself bye up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.